thank you for joining us on this Palm Sunday. I'm glad you're here. We're going to uh, get started by praying, and I want to read something uh, to you before we uh, get going, but let's pray first. Uh, Father, we thank you for uh, this wonderful day. We thank you for uh, the truth of your word, the gift of your son, Jesus. We thank you for how you continue to show yourself true and faithful, uh, even in light of what's going on in the world now. I just ask that in these circumstances, your church would rise up, would be the church the way that you've intended us to be, that we would serve passionately, that we would serve uh, with the clear goal of making the name of Jesus known uh, wherever we go. And God, as we jump into your word, as we study, that we would fall more in love with you, that we would fall more in love with your glory and majesty throughout the world. And God, that our lives would reflect that glory and majesty in how we live. Uh, we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, like I said, it's uh, Palm Sunday. And I wanted to start by reading something. Uh, if you know anything about Baptist uh, history, uh, the Baptists were... Uh, originally part of the Anglican Church in England, and a lot of our theology, a lot of the way we do things comes from that heritage. And so I wanted to read from the Book of Common Prayer, and uh, just a prayer, uh, a way for us to think through this week and how it goes into uh, the passion of, of Christ, His crucifixion, and ultimately His resurrection and ascension. So, uh, it says, It is right to praise you, Almighty God, for the acts of love by which you have redeemed us through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And on this day, he entered the holy city of Jerusalem in triumph and was proclaimed as King of kings by those who spread their garments and branches of palm along his way. Let those branches be for us signs of his victory and grant that we who bear them in his name may ever hail him as our king and follow him in the way that leads to eternal life, who lives and reigns in glory with you and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. Uh, I think that is a, the way to think about Palm Sunday. I think so much we get caught up in the uh, scene, the hoopla of the scene, and don't really think about this action of Christ going into the city really is part of a much larger picture. Uh, it really is, uh, even scripturally, part of uh, a larger thing that God is doing. Uh, part of what I want to do today is kind of look at uh, this triumphal entry, as we call it, in its biblical prophetic context. And there's a lot of Bible passages, and we won't be able to get to all of them. Uh, they'll actually be in the notes if you click in the description. Uh, but first is Psalm 118. Uh, psalm 118 is a messianic psalm, a prophetic psalm that points to this day. And it says, give thanks to the Lord uh, because of his salvation, uh, the, because of the rejected cornerstone, and it culminates in this Hosanna. Hosanna, which just simply means, Lord, save us. In Psalm 118, 21 through 26, that's where you'll find that. And that's actually part of 
the scripture today. That's what they were crying out. Uh, in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, there's this promise that the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, will come. And uh, again, in the description, in one of the things, I wish there was time to unpack this, but I don't have five or six months to do it all. But there's a lengthy uh, description of what really is going on in this uh, section of Daniel. But to boil it all down, from the time that uh, King Artaxerxes says for the exiled Jews to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild their city, 483 years later, the Messiah would come. And we see that happen on this Palm Sunday. Zechariah 9.9, 9, uh, about 500 years before Jesus rides into the city, the command is to shout, for the king has come, and, and he's coming on a donkey, bringing peace, and his reign will endure forever. And then we see these things fleshed out through the Gospels uh, in Matthew 21, verses 7 through 11, in Mark 11, uh, verses 7 through 10, in Luke 19, verses 35 through 40, John 12, 12, we see these things happen, these prophecies actually unfold on the pages of Scripture. These were real things that really happened. And then if we were to go further down the road into Revelation, we see in Revelation 9, or excuse me, Revelation 7, verses 9 through 11, uh, we see the throne room of God, all of these countless numbers of individuals waving palm branches again, shouting, worshiping the Lamb, and then finally the second coming of Christ uh, in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16, just the mighty king is come and on a horse rather than on a donkey, this time with a, a sword, ultimately to defeat evil. And so what we see is the Gospels show in part this fulfillment of Psalm 118 and Daniel and Zechariah. And we see at the end in the book of Revelation how God fulfills this prophetic uh, fulfillment, this prophetic uh, part of Scripture. And so Palm Sunday, we, we get into it, and it's the beginning of Passion Week. And so just to recap, uh, Jesus had healed Lazarus, uh, raised him from the dead, actually. Uh, and, and Jesus knew that he was marching to his death. He, this was the final... Uh, scene in his life, the final uh, scene in the story of Jesus' earthly ministry. And, and this was a watershed moment in his, in his ministry. Uh, the final plot to kill Jesus comes out of this. Uh, the priests had already given the command to the people of Jerusalem, if you see Jesus, let us know so we can arrest him. We see that in John 11. And, and that because the priests were afraid of the crowd, they come up with a secret plot with Judas, uh, who had been uh, possessed by Satan, to secretly arrest him so that the crowds wouldn't panic and freak out and overthrow the priests. And that's in Luke uh, 22, verses 1 through 6. So the, the city was divided, right? There was no middle ground into Jesus' followers and his detractors. And so 
as Jesus comes in, Jerusalem at Passover uh, was a town or a city, I guess, of around 50,000 people during normal operating hours. Uh, but during the Passover, the population would swell. Uh, some reports have up to two and a half million people. Uh, I think most say around two million people. Uh, but take it here, here's a way to think of this is that if you took the entire population of the Indianapolis metro area and crammed them all into Terre Haute, that's what's happening over the course of this one week. And so you have this mass of people full of religious fervor, all coming together all at the same time. And in this crowd, that's not counting, I think some estimates have up to 250,000 animals sacrificed. So two and a half million people bringing 250,000 plus animals into a relatively small uh, town uh, by our modern standards. And the explosive tension that came out of that. So we're gonna pick up the scene and what I've done is I've taken the gospel accounts and merged them uh, as best I can to kind of keep in, in mind the way that Hebrew poetry goes, uh, to keep in mind some chronology. And what I've done is, so if Matthew had more detail, I used Matthew's portion. If Mark had more detail, I used Mark's portion. If there were things that needed to be combined to get a bigger picture, I did that. Uh, so. Uh, this, it, you won't find this, be able to follow along in your Bible. So we'll put this on the screen so you can read along. Uh, but uh, Jesus, like I said, had just raised Lazarus uh, one week prior. Mary had anointed his feet with oil as he was preparing to leave Bethany to, to go down to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And he had sent a couple of disciples ahead to go get a donkey and a colt for him to ride on as he entered, entered Jerusalem. And so we pick up. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and its colt, and after throwing them uh, their clothes on the colt, they helped Jesus get on it. And this took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt the foal of a donkey. And when the large crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went down to meet him. And as he was going along, they spread their clothes on the road and others, others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. And, and now he came near the path uh, down the Mount of Olives and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. They kept shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And meanwhile, the crowd which had been with him when he, when he had called Lazarus out of the tomb 
and raised him from the dead, continued to testify, this is also why the crowd met him, because they heard that he had done the sign. They came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, the one that he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests had decided to kill Lazarus also, because he was the reason many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. And some of the Pharisees from the crowd told Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. So, in reading this, you see that there's no middle ground here. There's no middle ground with Jesus. Either you worship him or you don't. And in this story, there are clearly two factions. Uh, there are Jesus followers and there are those who are, <clears throat> excuse me, antagonistic. Even to his death, this, there are people in the crowd who are responsible for crucifying him. But there's a third crowd, uh, those who didn't know. Um, but at, at the same time, as they were told, uh, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the prophet, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. This is the king of the Jews. As they were told, they had to make a decision. Are they going to go along with the uh, following of Jesus or are they going to go along with those who are antagonistic? And so a clearly divided city that's already a hotbed of religious fervor. And so these two factions, Jesus' followers and those who were against Jesus are kind of coming at odds. But his followers, they understood if you listen to the words or read the words that they were saying, uh, they understood the prophetic mandate that was there for them to worship. Uh, Psalm 118.25, Hosanna, the cry for help, Lord save us. They understood, at least to some degree, that this is what was happening. Zechariah 9.9, their command to rejoice, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. They were doing this, and we see Jesus' words in, in Luke 19, uh, 39 and 40, that, um, hey, Jesus, tell your guys to shut up. Well, Jesus rebukes the priests and says, if they are quiet, then the stones will have to cry out. And, and even if, like in John 12, 16, even if they didn't understand the immediate significance and the whole scope of things, they understood something special was happening, something different was happening. And they were overwhelmed, compelled to worship God because of the magnificent thing that was going on. And so... That was kind of their first response. They also felt this need, his followers felt this need to, to proclaim to others, well, here's what's going on. Uh, in, in Matthew 21, 10 and 11, we see this. Uh, hey, who is this guy? Well, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. Uh, we also see in John 12, 17, it says, Meanwhile, the crowd, which had been with him when he called Jesus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, they continued to testify. So as Jesus is coming down from Beth or coming up from Bethany into Jerusalem, you see this, this group of people, they're shouting, they're praising God, they're worshiping, and everyone who walks up is like, hey, what's going on? Well, here's what's going on. And they're giving them a means to understand what God is doing. And so 
they they felt the the they understood the mandate to, to worship God. They, they felt compelled to, to worship. They understood the need to proclaim uh, the truth of what was going on. And, but they didn't have the whole picture in view. Uh, but we do, sort of. Um, see, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Uh, they did not. Uh, the Holy Spirit didn't come and indwell believers until the day of Pentecost, which we see in Acts 2. We also have the whole of Scripture. Uh, we don't all see it, we don't see it all clearly uh, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, that it's like we're looking into a mirror, uh, some translations see, say a glass dimly lit. Um, and even Peter talks about the New Testament, some parts of it, hey, you guys are reading Paul, that's great, but yeah, he's hard to understand. Uh, he writes that in 2 Peter 3.16. So we have a bigger picture than they did even, uh, but not quite. We don't quite get it all. Uh, but we should understand from what's going on, looking back, that we, we are part of this, that there is the mandate to worship God. There's a mandate to worship God, and they couldn't have known what was coming. Well, I guess they could have, but they didn't. They were unaware of what was coming. They were unaware of the crucifixion. They were unaware of Jesus' resurrection. They were unaware of the coming Holy Spirit uh, just over a month after all of this. They didn't know all of that stuff was coming, but they did understand that God is doing something right now. And they, they had their antenna up. And so they were telling people, here's what God is doing as best as we can tell. And they were singing praises to God. This is what worship is. They were overflowing with great joy over what God has done and what God was doing. And they got to witness something miraculous and spectacular. Um, so what do we do with all this? Well, first of all, um, no one likes to hear this, but we wait. We wait. Uh, now we don't wait like hands in our pockets, you know, twiddling our thumbs. Um, but we wait, and maybe a better word is we anticipate. We we see where God is moving, and we move with God in those ways. So um, as we see opportunity we anticipate what god is doing in that opportunity also we wait for the fulfillment of these prophetic uh instances these prophetic uh utterances that come from long ago we still have not seen the the full fulfillment of all of the what the gospel writers were were getting at we didn't see the full fulfillment of what zechariah 9 9 and 10 here's zechariah 9 10 actually says um, after telling Zion to rejoice, daughter Jerusalem to rejoice because your king is coming. Well, this hasn't happened yet in, in Zechariah 9.10. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The, the bow of war will be removed and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His dominion will extend from sea to sea from the Euphrates River. That, that's not happened yet. We don't see war being done away with. We don't see the physical reign of Christ uh, on the throne of David and with this endless kingdom. We don't see that, but we anticipate that day. We don't see, like in Revelation 7, that... Um, well, we'll just read it. 
After this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and along with the elders, the four living creatures, they fell face down before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. We've not seen that fulfillment. We, we are part of that. That's why the Great Commission is so are so important from multitudes from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, which no one could number standing before the throne and before the Lamb. We are part of this moving prophetic history forward. And, and this coming of Christ into Jerusalem on this is kind of a confirmation that the God who makes a promise will keep the promise. And so there's still promise unfulfilled that we are waiting on, uh, ultimately to what Revelation 19, um, verses 11 through 16, uh, the second coming of Christ. And it's nothing like the first coming. It says, I saw the heaven opened and there was a white horse. Its rider is called faithful and true. And he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head. And he had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule, with the, he will rule them with an iron rod. And he will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Obviously, we have not seen that kind of prophetic uh revelation happening before our eyes but this is the terrifying sight gloriously terrifying sight of the second coming of christ unlike this first but still coming in as king of kings and lord of lords so first we wait we anticipate these things to come and and, and in the meantime as we anticipate Christ's ultimate fulfillment of all of prophetic history, we worship. We worship. Again, Zechariah 9.9 says to rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Even Jesus said, if they remain silent, talking about his followers at the time, the stones would cry out. Let's not, let the stones remain silent. That we would be a people with such great praise on our lips because of who our God is and the wonderful things that he's done. That we can always keep in mind the greatness of God, the God who always fulfills his promises, the God who always comes through, the God who always does what is right, who always does what is good, who always does what is just, who always Make sure that everything is going as his plan and ultimately is going to work out as we see in Romans 8. 
all things will work to the good of those who know and love him and are called according to his purpose. So we worship. We worship God. We also, as we anticipate this second coming, as we anticipate the culmination of history, uh, while we're worshiping God, we also take what those, those crowds were doing. We proclaim. We proclaim the truth of the gospel. We proclaim the truth of who Jesus is and the need of salvation. Um, Matthew 24, 14. This is again another prophetic utterance that we are part of. The good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. This is our role in this, is that we are helping move things forward to not the end of the world in a terrifying way, but the end of all history, the culmination of all of history to the glory of God. And that's why, again, the Great Commission is important, that we bring as many along with us as, we'll, as can come. Uh, Colossians 1, 27 through 29 said, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. So as we proclaim, we rely on the, the Holy Spirit, the power of Christ in me, not our strength. We can't be wise enough. Do we prepare? Absolutely. Do we study? Yes, absolutely. But ultimately, and I'll tell you this, I, I've, I've shared the gospel with people and bungled the entire thing. Just looked at them deadpan in the eye and be like, hey, Jesus, and you know, um, yeah, and you should get saved. And they're like, yeah, you're right. And that was no skill on my part. Uh, that was trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit to do what God promised he's going to do. And 2 Timothy 4.2, that we should preach the word, that we should be ready in season and out of season to rebuke, <clears throat> to correct and encourage with great patience and, and teaching. That no matter what situation we're in, we ought to be on the ready to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to preach the word of God, at the drop of a hat. Um, and so we come back around to that moment. Like I said, it was a watershed moment in Jesus' ministry. Uh, thing, the dividing lines had been there, but this was kind of where it all reached fever pitch. And, and, and it's kind of the same way today. There's no middle ground with Jesus. Uh, there are followers and there are those who are enemies. Uh, and so as a follower of Christ, let, let's look at what that group did, those followers then, who, who followed him as worshipers. They followed him as proclaimers of truth, uh, understanding that God was doing something in their midst. And God is doing something right now, even if we don't understand it, that we would be worshipers and we would be proclaimers. And so, again, there's no middle ground. So there, you're either a follower or you're an enemy. And that's the way the Bible describes those who are not uh, saved, that, that they are enemies of God, that they are enemies of the cross. And the invitation is to move from enemy to follower, to friend to son and daughter of the king. 
And so as we wrap, if you are questioning kind of where you are, if you are questioning any of what, what I've said, or, or if you're struggling, or if you need uh, clarity or just someone to kind of go over these things, uh, Pastor Gary and I invite you to call us. Uh, there's the phone number to the church should be somewhere on this screen. Uh, the, you can email us. You can get a hold of us by any number of means, and we would be glad to have a conversation with you, to talk to you further about these things, to, to, to help you move from follower or from enemy to follower, to worshiper. Uh, if you're a follower of Christ and, and you're not worshiping with your heart, if you're not proclaiming the truth of God, and, and maybe you're just confused, I don't know how to do that. Well, call us and we'll help you with that. Uh, it, it, would, it would give us no more joy in the world than for those things to happen, than to lead people from enemy to follower, to lead proclaimers or for followers into worshipers and proclaimers. Now let's pray. Uh, God, thank you again for today. Thank you again that as we saw, you are the God who fulfills all your promises. You are the God who gives all good gifts. God, you are the one who is drawing all of human history to a close and that we would be prepared for that day, what the Bible calls the day of the Lord, the day that you culminate all of it. And we see those who are yours drawn to eternal glory, eternal bliss, and those who are not into eternal separation and God that we would um, we would be about the business of bringing those to you to uh, to show them your glory and your greatness and your mercy and God that you would save some even in this weird time where we're doing this online uh, through a video camera God that you through your Holy Spirit would would wreck us and draw us to yourself and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you guys. Love you.